0: you're listening to The Move, the stories of one ill-equipped man's very apparent shortcomings dealing with life abroad. Now, here's your host, Nick... Griffin! Yes, welcome to another episode of The Move. I'm Nick, here with you talking about Egypt this week. Yes, I just came back from a two-week trip around the country. We were pretty much everywhere. We were up and down the Nile. It was absolutely fantastic. Had a little bit of a trepidation before I went uh, because I'd never been, you know, the... uh, I would... Put it politically correctly, I th- well, probably unpolitically correctly. I thought it was a pretty dodgy country. I'd been warned in the past not to go there before, uh, because you know of the uh, the political turmoil that has happened there over the last, well few years. It was a little while ago now, but the last few years. And uh, yeah, I was kind of worried about going there, but I ended up doing a bus tour. And uh, yeah, we got to see just about everything. It was absolutely fantastic and completely hectic as well. Cairo in particular, the capital, is just a metropolis that is next level. Uh, I don't think I've ever been in a city as busy as that before. But I've only ever, you know, been to mostly European countries. So this is a nice little change and it got me seeing what the other side, well, a different part of the world is like, to be perfectly honest with you. So, yeah, Cairo was crazy. If you've ever been to a country where things are are not, well, if you've ever been to countries that are probably not westernly created the ethos of western kind of society and everything, it's probably, you know, a little bit different to what you're used to going over there. I mean, certainly was for me. Uh, I remember telling my girlfriend that I was a little bit shocked at just how, you know, run down, I guess, things were, but it was really interesting because we had a tour guide uh, that was from the area. He was Egyptian. We actually ended up having two, two guides throughout the whole thing. But the first one that we had, um, it was really interesting because we, I went there and I was looking around. I was just like poverty. You know, there's just like you know, cars in the middle of the streets just like bombed out. You know, just shit everywhere, essentially. The, there was a river running through the city. I don't think it was the Nile. It was a river, and it's just rubbish everywhere. Rubbish absolutely everywhere. Half-completed buildings everywhere. It was just... You know, it essentially looked like a war zone, and it's not because of the, a war that happened there or anything. It's just because, you know, it's in a constant kind of state of political upheaval up until semi-recently. Um, mainly, one of the reasons why people are worried about going to a place like Egypt is because of the political turmoil, but this happened a little while ago now, relatively speaking. In 2011, there was a big kind of up- Uprising. It started this thing called the Arab Spring, where a bunch of um, Arab nations started revolting against the uh, politically elite, the people in charge at the time, and uh, overthrew them all. So there was a huge revolution that happened in Egypt to overthrow. Hos- oh, I'm not going to get this right. Hosni M- Mubarak. Hosni Mubarak, and apologies for any Egyptians uh, that cringed at that pronunciation. Uh, he was a guy that had been in political power for a really long time. The Egyptians didn't like him very much. He wasn't a very nice guy, so they decided to overthrow him. And in that conflict, like I said, uh, that was the start of the Arab Spring, and uh, that happened. A lot of you know, a lot of things didn't go too well. An estimated over 800 people died, and over 6,000 people were injured in the process of this revolution. Uh, so the the president then resigned, and then, the uh, from what I understand, the military kind of took over. So there's a lot of this kind of uh, trepidation about, you know, your parents. My parents, in particular, were a little bit worried. I mean, they were worried about Turkey as well. But i got to tell you, the, the entire time that I was there, I felt really safe. Um, there were some moments where I don't think I would have been comfortable doing it outside of a till group. You know, it's not just the people hassling you on the street or anything like that. I mean, for me, you know, you go to some really touristy areas and you do get hassled a lot just to buy stuff uh, constantly, but you never really feel like a malicious kind of intent or anything like that. Sometimes when I was walking around, I felt a little bit like that, but again... I'm relatively speaking fairly inexperienced when it comes to travel. And this was the first time I've ever been to somewhere that wasn't, you know, essentially in Europe. So I would say generally speaking, it it was, I felt really safe throughout the whole thing. Um, Our tour guide as well on the bus, there was actually armed guards that followed us around when we went different places and we had police escorts and whatnot. And it's kind of interesting because it's a catch 22 with that because you think, okay, well, uh, you know, I believe that from a perspective of their government, it seems apparently it was mandated that you had to have these um, police officers, armed guards with you while touring around. Um, That was, you know, our tour guide said it was more of a money-making scheme than anything But uh, it kind of had this flip effect. So the idea of having the the guards there was, uh, of course, probably to make, well, one, to defend you if something goes wrong, and two, to make you feel safe. But the other side happened where you're like, why do I even need these kind of armed guards here? Like, what is going to happen to us? So having those guys there with guns, uh, yeah, like I said, it's a a little bit weird. It was kind of like... We should feel safe because they're here, but we feel unsafe because they need need to be there at all. Um, But, you know, it wasn't too bad. They eventually kind of left um, every time that we pulled up somewhere. They kind of left the security everywhere. Every time you go into a, a, like the airport on the way out had, we had to go through security metal detectors three times before we even boarded the plane, pat-downs and everything. And then whenever you go anywhere, I'm talking into hotel buildings, the hotel buildings, they may as well be a resort because there's huge like iron gates that go all around them and you just kind of can't, you can't really get out without talking to someone, you know. There's um, metal detectors at every single door. You have to have all your bags scanned all the time. So, you know, this kind of flip side uh, Catch-22 where it's like, okay, the security's there to make sure that we're safe, but the fact that the security needs to be there makes us kind of feel unsafe as well. But I've got to tell you, you know, generally across the board, really there wasn't much that went wrong and you know if you're out there thinking I've done Egypt I didn't need to do it as a tour guide good for you like you know not not um not harsh and your mellow or anything like that just for me uh relatively inexperienced when it comes to these kinds of things it just kind of felt really good to do so in a tour but anyway so we went everywhere this like Cairo's Pretty chockers, and I say chockers uh, with no light sense of the word because apparently there is, they reckon uh, officially there's something like 10 million there, and actually there's over 30 million there. Uh, 30 million people that live in the city of Cairo. And just to put that into perspective, uh, the city of London, where I am in right now, which is pretty big, you may have heard of it, uh, has a population of 9 million. And on top of that, the entire population of Australia only rounds out to about 25 million. So you have 30 million people, more people than the population of Australia, living in one city. And I gotta tell you, it's absolutely chaos. When we were coming back into Cairo after, you know, traveling up and down and doing whatever, whatever, we were, on the right side of the traffic I'll tell you because we had a fairly relatively straight shot also by the way people do not there's no rules there driving everyone's just like everywhere on the road I don't know how any kind of organisation happens at all there is line markings there everyone just chooses to ignore it and they just kind of do their own thing apparently road accidents are a huge thing over there Um, again Something I was not aware of in different countries, and uh, I was found. I was got told that this is very much the case uh, whenever people have traveled, to like Thailand or, or any really anywhere else other than Europe. It seems to be the case. But like I said, sorry, tangent, tangent. We were going down one side of the road that was clear, and the other side was very much not clear. Apparently, it was. Uh, we talked to tour guide, and they said, you know, this. Traffic jam that was happening right in front of us could be expected to go on for four hours, four hours worth of traffic jam. And uh, they were just sitting there waiting to get out of Cairo at the end of the day. And he said, you know, give it like half an hour. If they stay there long enough, people will come out and start trying to sell them stuff, trying to like, you know, drinks and food and stuff like that because they have to sit there for four flipping hours just to get in and out. And, you know, you might bitch about your commute, but if it's not four hours, uh, you're not doing it the Cairo way, apparently. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so, you know, thankfully, like, day one for us was just huge. Bucket list items left, right, and center. Pyramids of Giza, Sphinx, um, you know, what more could you want from the first day? And it was really cool. Here's a, like, you know, we went to the Pyramid of Giza, And it is amazing. It is the last standing uh, ancient wonder of the world. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. One of the biggest challenges about going to the Pyramid of Giza is getting a picture that has all of it in it, because it is so freaking huge. Uh, The pyramid itself is made out of 2,300,000 stone blocks that weigh from 2 to 30 tonne. It is very heavy. Uh, It's one of the heaviest buildings in the world. And uh, it is 4,500 years old exceptionally old. I learned more about Egypt and forgotten more about Egypt than I ever thought I could learn. What really cool thing uh, about our going on tour was that our tour guide was actually a studier of Egyptology, which, fun fact, that I learned is the only field of science that is named after a country, Egyptology there's an entire thing just dedicated towards Egypt, which doesn't surprise me because there's so much shit about it, Pyramid of Giza it was built, as all of the pyramids are built as a burial place for the pharaoh at the time, this one was King Khufu and it took more than 20 years to build and it was built over 2 million blocks of limestone is made out of each weighing as much as 2.5 elephants it stands at 149 metres high that's taller than the Statue of Liberty and the base of the pyramid takes up almost as much space as five football fields. So just to put that into perspective as well, the amount of stones that they have there, the Great Pyramid of Giza, if it was chopped into 12-inch cubes, it would be able to go around the moon Almost three times if those cubes were lined up uh, in a row. Three times. It is a it is a monster of a pyramid and there's a whole bunch of them there too. I actually got to go in it. It was really cool. Uh, and I say cool, not in the temperature context because it was very humid inside. Uh, I went in with my girlfriend and she kind of pulled out halfway through. It was just way too humid, way too cramped. You essentially have to not really crawl, but you're like this half like Tyrannosaur Rex kind of stomp up this huge ramp and you just end up. There's nothing really in there. It's just a kind of a big room uh that probably had a thing there apparently with the pyramids all the burial chambers are underneath to you know stop grave robbers or whatever what have you but apparently that didn't really stop because there's nothing in any of the pyramids um uh, but yeah so yeah the pyramid of giza the sphinx as well it's all in like all within, well, I'd say walking distance, but you know, it's a 10-minute bus drive wherever you go in that kind of area, and it was so cool. But a lot of people don't realize as well that the pyramids aren't in the middle of nowhere. Uh, whenever anyone takes the photos, they certainly make it, want to make it look like it's in the middle of the nowhere because it's all exotic, and you're in the desert, and there's camels or whatever. But the reality is, because uh, Cairo and um, Giza, I think it's a different kind of city, but it's still the same city, it's grown so much. It's actually grown right up to the pyramids. So from the Sphinx... You look at the Sphinx, you see desert and the backgrounds of pyramids, and you do a you do a one eighty and you turn around and there 's pizza hut and there 's you know franchises and and Macs and everything just just there so uh yeah, no, it is really encroached on that kind of area. you can actually climb on the pyramid up to a certain point uh the entrance there 's like a big gate there you can only climb up to there, but that 's like like, I don't know, like a couple of meters up in the air. So there's these huge blocks that you just climb up on. Everyone's there. It's bloody mental. Uh, another hilarious thing, as well, that we encountered this is the first time that we encountered school children uh, in Egypt. They were crazy. A lot of the times, uh, no one in Egypt have seen white people before. And a lot of the people on our tour bus looked very white. They had blonde hair. One of them was my girlfriend. And uh, they didn't really want to have much to do with me because I kind of, you know, had, look, had brown hair and a kind of shitty mustache and a beard. And, you know, if anything, I think I look more like they do than a European white man or whatever, but yeah, no, my girlfriend got absolutely mobbed, she was an absolute celebrity, there were people taking photos, later at night we were walking and there was, she was just flocked a whole group of school kids, she said it felt like she was a celebrity, that was like the paparazzi going off, there was that many people just wanting to take pictures of her, to have selfies with her, to like touch her hair and stuff, there was kids saying that they loved her, uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty weird, <laughs> again that's another experience as well that I, I certainly wasn't prepared for, but uh, it's good to get the famous treatment that I think we all personally deserve uh when you're traveling abroad. Okay, so that's a lot of talking, so I'm going to throw to the ad break. We'll be back in a moment. <music> sick of your doors walling when they should be dooring? Well fear no more. I'm Walter Doorfolk, proprietary owner of Walter's Door Wallers and Wall Dooring Accessories. If you want your doors to wall or your walls to door, then we have the cure. Good a nice door of a door that you simply deplore? We'll make it a wall, either big or small. We have scores of floors of things to explore. There's drawers of doors and walls to install. I'm a door connoisseur with walls to enthrall. Stop on by and we'll give you the tour. We simply implore you, give us a call. We're on the ball and we'll be there for sure. Stuck on your floor? Lauren can't get to the store to make the whole of our stuff work door to door. I'll bull you no more, so once and for all, call 444 wall that door That's 444 wall that door Welcome back. The next thing I want to talk to you guys about is mummies because when everyone goes to Egypt, it's always pyramids and mummies. And one of the cool places that we went to was the Valley of the Kings. And if you don't know, that's essentially where all the pharaohs of ancient Egypt were buried. And one of the really good things about that area is that there were guards there because obviously they're kings, their tombs, they were protected. So everything is still really well maintained. Paintings on the walls, there was hieroglyphics, everything that you could still kind of see. And it really made you feel like you were in there and discovering it all for the first time and they have all of these tombs i think there was some ridiculous amount like 40 different tombs and they're all numbered in the rate of discovery that they were that they were found and uh apparently like howard carter when they found um carmen he's the dude that, that discovered him uh they were just digging around randomly because they knew that there was some pharaoh that was still around and they didn't know where he was, but he would be buried in the Valley of the Kings. So they seriously just like went around everywhere until they struck gold. Apparently, like they were searching for five years. They had some permit to search for five years. And um, it turns out for that entire five years, they were camping right on top of his tomb. One of the guys that was the local people working there, he was digging a well to use as like I guess washing or or something like that and actually struck on the entrance and that's how they found the uh the tomb of Tutankhamun completely preserved that's the only reason why we know anything about him is because his tomb was not robbed by grave robbers and uh yeah it was very cool we saw all of his stuff at the Museum of Cairo and that was a really cool kind of thing as well a lot of really cool stuff we got to see all of the mummies that are there Uh, whenever anyone thinks of of Egypt they think of pyramids they think of mummies and it was just a really cool kind of kind of experience. I've seen mummies before, but the pharaohs of ancient Egypt are only ever kept in Cairo. So any other mummies that you've seen elsewhere in the world, they're not royalty. All the royalty is kept in the Museums in Egypt. So one of the coolest ones that we saw didn't see Tutankhamun. Tutankhamun is actually buried in the Valley of the Kings. But when we went into the museum, we got to see Ramses II. So this guy, um, he's really cool. He's one of the big names, and he's actually fun fact about Ramses II. He's the only mummy that has a passport because apparently like 1976, 1976 I think it was uh, they wanted to they, they wrapped, unwrapped him found that he was decomposing well actually because they unwrapped him he was decomposing so they needed someone to look after him and kind of you know keep him intact and preserve him better they shipped him off to France but to make sure that they didn't steal him they wanted to make sure that they actually made a passport for him so they have this whole photo there's a passport you can look it up online and his occupation is registered as king in brackets deceased so (laughs) Ramsey so yeah it was really cool seeing the mummies though you know you got to see their teeth you could see the hair you could see the fingernails it's ridiculous how much cool stuff is there and another cool thing that I didn't really realize is they also mummified animals so there's this whole like section of the museum there's mummified dogs there's mummified cats there's a mummified crocodile this thing was massive I don't know I don't even know distances I'm just gonna say it was 10 meters long it was the biggest crocodile I've ever seen uh the biggest one I've ever seen even in pictures uh it it was absolutely ginormous and uh yeah monkeys as well I didn't even know that they had monkeys there but I guess it kind of makes sense it's in Africa right I don't know so yeah, definitely hit up the Cairo Museum if you get the opportunity. I've seen way more mummies than I ever care to for the rest of my life. But definitely hit that up. Uh, one of the other places that we went to was the Cairo market. Now, we, when we started the trip, it was in Cairo and we ended in Cairo. And all throughout the trip, we kept going to these little markets here and there and we're just getting constantly hassled by sellers of wares, of towels, of you know, Egyptian cotton. All of these people were just everywhere. And it was actually kind of funny. Sometimes they get really annoying. Sometimes, you know, they get into your purse. Personal space. Other times, they said some really funny things, and they just kind of follow you around and you know, jest with you and whatnot. But either way, they were all just trying to sell stuff, uh, which essentially the same thing, actually, which got really annoying by the end. But. uh when we ended up back in Cairo, we had the opportunity to go to the Cairo market, the largest one in the country, and I thought it would be a good opportunity to show you guys kind of what it's like to be there. So I took a bit of audio recording. Uh, this place is cram packed. There's like a million bloody people here, and uh, you'll hear all these people trying to sell me different things. And they they figure out where you're from. Uh, obviously, they can spot a tourist from a mile away, uh, and they know a bit of English. They'll know a bit of French. They'll know a bit of Spanish. They'll know enough to get by for all the different tourists in the area just to sell them things. Uh, by the end as well I do a little interview with my friend Kurt as I was walking around so stay tuned for that but yeah have a listen we are in the middle of the market if you can hear in the background there's 800 people everywhere there's someone who's been following us for the last maybe 100 meters and we are walking through the crowded streets of the Cairo market everything smells (laughs) like everything smells of different spices and herbs it smells amazing, it looks disgusting but it smells amazing and yeah we're just constantly being harassed by everyone it's great everything is optional, all the prices you have to barter
1: and
0: yeah so pretty full on oh shit, that price Crown through the old uh, market. That's a
1: reason. We have also bridge man- mm-hmm. Here mm-hmm. You're from heaven and you lost your weight. I'm from hell. What did he say? Are <laughs> you from heaven? You know, lost your way? Oh,
0: God. What about here?
1: Excuse
0: me. Just in bound. for bar statues. It's Karabi kitchen, fresh magnet, small cat. They're cute. 10 bound. Fresh magnet. i th-
1: oh.
0: from Australia. Yes, oil, oil. <laughs> What about <you>? here? <laughs> what did he <you> say? I'm from Australia. Gonna update his uh, pop culture references, I think. We sing free today.
1: How can I take your money, Australia? <laughs> Hi, lucky man. Hi, lucky man. Are you here, bro? Do you need some spices today? no cook at your home? I do Sad cook. <laughs> oh my God. Your boyfriend, he keep it to you. How come? You like a skirt for money? Skirt? Is it just ch- no. ch- the rest? No, thank Galabaya you. No,
0: me? thank you. Yeah, I don't know about these guys, but I, it just feels like running a gauntlet essentially. You're just kind of being harassed from everywhere. If you don't like crowds, you won't like the Cairo market. It's uh it's pretty full on, I'm not gonna lie. There's there was someone driving a bus through the main middle of the square, the street that we're in, the very crowded street. Just ran an entire bus through it. There's a scooter through the middle of everyone. They oh, get hit.
1: Bye!
0: driving a Harley Davidson straight through the middle of the crowd. What do you reckon, Kurt? How are you enjoying the Cairo Market? It's a bit
1: cramped in here. Yeah.
0: A bit stressful? A little, a little bit, especially with the motorbikes coming up and down the pathway, I should say. It scares the shit out of you, not it? Be
1: better than the bus. What? <laughs> it's better than most of traffic around here, I'd say. You reckon you could get your license here? I reckon I'll buy, try trying to get my license here.
0: Have you done any bartering yet? Uh, not today. Have you had? Have you done any at all? I have done some. How'd you go? I got an extra ten dollars off an ice cream. So, hey, that is ten Egyptian pounds. Ten Egyptian pounds, yes. Bloody bargain, mate. Well, can't complain. Ice creams, ice cream. Cars and bikes absolutely everywhere around here. I just nearly got wedged between two scooters and a car. No shits given whatsoever. It's just like a moving river of people that gets every now and then parted by <laughs> some form of vehicle. And, oh, you can hear them all now. This is the danger zone. Oh,
1: oh
0: we're going the right way. Just a river of people and everyone knows where they're going except for us. So yeah, that's the Cairo Market, guys. Uh, hopefully, you know, you could really pick up the feelings there that I was experiencing. A little bit anxious and very claustrophobic. Uh, not a lot of room to, you know, move around frolic and dance. So if you do go there, please bear that in mind. Uh, it is a little bit cramped and you'll have a lot of people hassling you uh, throughout the trip. But yeah, no, guys, that's pretty much the end of the episode. I have one last thing that I want to throw to uh, before I end the show. Uh, but yeah, it is, if you haven't been listening to the last few episodes, they've been all about the worst travel stories and all of those people were on my Egyptian trip. Now I had a little bit of audio left over from all of that, uh, particularly from one guy named Ginge. Uh, He was a bit of a card and a character and he had, uh, in the last episode, he was the guy that uh, got held up, I think it was like the Swedish embassy or something like that, held at gunpoint and thrown in jail for a little while. Uh, But yeah, so that was his story. So if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to those, they're pretty crazy. Some of them are a little bit fucked up, but uh, they're entertaining nonetheless. So yeah, guys, if you've enjoyed this episode please tell your friends give it a share on social media whatever you need to do tell your grandma for all i care just spread the word uh, if you are listening on itunes as well if you could give me a review that would be great that star system uh, really helps me out uh and if you want to send an email to me i have an email address now it is the move nick griffin the move nick griffin uh n-i-c griffin uh, at, at gmail.com so send that through and i'll give it a read out on air why not uh but yeah guys that's it Throw it to Ginge now. I hope you guys have a fantastic day and I'll catch you next time.
1: We um, This is coming off the back of I was a late bloomer, you know, of 12 to 13. Mum and Dad went on a scenic cruise around the islands of, you know, Fiji, Vanuatu, as you do. You take your kids with you. Good on you. Thank you, Mum and Dad. You worked hard. I can only enjoy it with Kids Club. Dad's managed to talk the way through it. He's got through the manager. He's put it in an email, and he's got me to Kids Club at the age of 13. I, kids Club was up to 12. I made it. So day one and two at Kids Clubs, you know, you bully the short ones. That was me. I got quite bullied. But, you know, you move on. At the end of the cruise, they decided to put on a show. All the kids from the Kids Club had to go on, and they did a talent show. I'm a talentless bastard at the best of times. We all know this from traveling with him. But um, they put up a segment, you got to go on stage and tell your joke. And they scripted the jokes. They scripted the jokes before you actually got on stage. So my joke that I said I was going to say, why did the scissors and the matchbox cross the road to cut corners and do burnouts? pretty funny from a 13-year-old. But Dad got into the year before it. So little old me, unbeknownst to me, I got on stage and I've looked at him. and Dad's sitting in the audience, front row, he's nodding his head and I go, I'm your boy, I'm your boy, I'll do it, Dad. The lady's looking at me, you've looked around, say you joke, come on, a little bit nervous. I get up on there I go, how do you solve the world's problems? You get the hungry to eat the homeless. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> There's one bloke in the crowd pissing himself. I walk off stage with the microphone. She goes, You shouldn't have said that. You should never have been in kids' club. <laughs> Hello, you're and I was 13. And that is the time I realised stand up was not for me. <laughs> oh, yeah.